Welcome to Bridal Love Ministries podcast with Poppy Hopeflish teaching on Song of Songs. For those who did not join us from the very beginning, we did on uh, the first podcast, we did introduction and I really believe you must all listen to that as I give a testimony on that, how this started and I believe the, the wording of the testimony and the anointing upon that the Lord wants to impart that to you for your own ministry that he has for you. And then we did our second session was only the first half of chapter one. So I will revise a bit about that. We will listen to the text, the complete text again. But we mainly spoke about on what is intimacy? How do I enter into intimacy? How we are all, we all start this journey as outcast, shepherd girl, rejected, suffering from self rejection, from self hatred, believing the lies of the enemy that we're not good enough, not in our wildest dreams thinking that we could kiss the Son of God. And yet that's what he is teaching us all through this book to kiss the Son of God. We also spend some time on the scripture that says, Cursed is he that does not love the Son of God. We spend time on the words, Draw me unto you, that no one can come to him, to Jesus, unless the Father draws him. And how he draw you to this course, maybe for the first time, maybe to polish up your intimacy again and just to go deeper with Jesus in the special time that we have where we are locked down where everyone's home and his room or your special place where you sit with Jesus will be your holy of holies that you enter every week we spoke about what is the holy of holies it's the king's king's bridal chamber what does he do there he loves you and he feeds you with wine we spoke on the fact that the bride is men and women it's got nothing to do with a white wedding dress you can call it your rope of righteousness that is actually what it is the wedding dress walking in a white rope of righteousness in in romans it says in christ we are all the same no freeman no slave no male no female we are all sons of god and the sons of God are being revealed in these days and we are also the bride with one passion holiness unto Jesus for in Revelation he says those who want to be holy will be holier still in these days and those who want to do evil will be evil still even more then we did how to enter into intimacy and the synonym for that is your vineyard because the first intimacy started in a garden where God walked with Adam and Eve it's so nicely pictured in the song I come to the garden alone when the dew is still on the roses and the voice I hear falling on my ear 
it's so sweet. The Son of God discloses. And then the, the chorus part, and he walks with me, and he talks with me, and he tells me I am his own. Today, as we blew the ram's horns, uh, Tilia, she is six years old, came to me and she gave a sigh and she said, Oh my, I can so live Jesus. This is so lekker om sy kind te wees. She said, Oh, Granny, I love Jesus so much. It's such a nice feeling to know I am His. And I thought, yeah, we are born with that. And then as we grow up, we lose the knowledge that I am His and He is mine. So tonight and through this course, may you return to your first love. And may you end this course with, I know nothing else. I know I am His and He is mine. I think it's time. Can we start? If there's any questions, you can drop them in the chat box. So let us begin and listen again to the text of chapter 1 of Song of Songs. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is better than wine. Because of the fragrance of your good ointments, your name is like ointment poured forth. Therefore the maidens love you. Draw me unto you, and we will run together. The king has brought me into his chambers. We will be glad and rejoice in you. We will remember your love more than wine. Rightly do they love you. I am dark, but lovely, like the tents of Kedar, like the curtains of Solomon. Do not look upon me because I am dark, because the sun has tanned me. My mother's sons were angry with me. They made me the keeper of the vineyards, but my own vineyard I have not kept. Tell me, O oh you whom I love, where do you feed your flock? Where do you make it rest at noon? For why should I be as one who veils herself by the flocks of your companions? If you do not know, O fairest among women, follow in the footsteps of the flock, and feed your little goats beside the shepherd's tents. I have compared you, my love, to my filly among Pharaoh's chariots. Your cheeks are lovely with ornaments, your neck with chains of gold. We will make you ornaments of gold with studs of silver. While the king is at his table, my spikenard sends forth its fragrance. A bundle of myrrh is my beloved to me, that lies all night between my breasts. My beloved is to me a cluster of henna blooms in the vineyards of Engedi. Behold, you are fair, my love. Behold, you are fair. You have dove's eyes. Behold, you are handsome, my beloved. Yes, pleasant. You are beautiful. Also, our bed is green. The beams of our house are cedar, and our rafters are of fir, cypresses. She came as the shepherd girl, the outcast one. But in the king's chamber, she is learning to trust him. And she realizes, I need to join others 
who loves him this way, because she said in the previous verses, no wonder the maidens love you. She wants to become part of his flock, and that's why she's asking him, where do you feed your flock? Where do you make it rest? She feels I'm going from this flock to that flock, and I don't know where I fit in. I don't know where I can find com companionship. And then he answers her, if you do not know, follow the footsteps of the flock. That's why when he's telling her, it's not in a church, it's not in a ministry, it's not in a group, it is a footpath of intimacy. And that footpath of intimacy, you can name it Psalm 23. And we compared Psalm 23 and Ezekiel 34 last week. The whole story of the, the, the shepherd girl we find in Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 3 to 14. I hope you printed the text out or wrote, wrote them out by hand and studied them, all the extra verses. Combine that with the text and see what he's telling her. So let's read Ezekiel 16, verse 3 from there. And thus says the Lord God to Jerusalem, that is a name that he gives you if you are a, a citizen of Jerusalem. In, in Revelation, we hear that you are part of the new city called Jerusalem. So you can put your own name in there. Thus says the Lord God to you tonight. Your spiritual origin and your birth are thoroughly Canaanites. Your spiritual father was an Amorite and your spiritual mother was a Hittite. What he's telling her is your bloodlines are full of occultic symbols. You come from nations that is in idolatry idolatry and your bloodlines needs to be cleansed verse 4 and as for your birth on the day you were born your navel cord was not cut nor were you washed with water to cleanse you nor rubbed with salt or swaddled with bands at all no I pitied you to do any of these things for you to have compassion on you you were cast out in the open field for your person was abhorrent and loathsome on the day that you were born. Speaking of this, he is saying you are you were rejected. Maybe even in the womb, rejection in the womb, you were unwanted. No one cared for you. No one really wanted you. And the enemy keeps on telling you that. And on the day when you were born, you were just cast out. No one washed you. No one rubbed you with salt. You were cast out into the open field, and your person was abhorrent and loathsome. And she feels that way. She says, yes, that's exactly how I feel. He says, but I am the bridegroom king passing by by you as the shepherd. So when I passed by you, my love, I saw you rolling about in your blood. I said to you in your blood, live. Yes, tonight I say to you, Live. And then I caused you to multiply as the bud which grows in the field. And you increased and you became tall. And you came to full maidenhood and beauty. And your breasts were formed and your hair had grown. Yet you were naked and bare. It's interesting that he doesn't do a thing. He just look at her. 
And then he says, Live. Because you see, she's at the point of dying, spiritually, maybe physically, and her soul is asleep. Her soul is so depressed. And he knows the most important thing now to declare over her is that she should live. He's telling her, and he's telling you tonight, you will not die, but you will live. And you will declare my glories. He watches her as she is growing into spiritual maturity, like a bud which grows in the field. He watches her becoming into young maidenhood, and that her breasts are formed and that her hair had grown. Breasts is for spiritual maturity. As we drink on Christ when we are born again babies, so the bride will become one, a full-breasted bride, who will feed others with the milk of her spiritual maturity. The hair is a symbol of being set apart, like Samson, set apart for the Lord. And he sees deep down she is coming into, into this form of becoming his bride. But she's still naked, nothing to wear. But he watches over her. And as time goes by, he decides it's time for another visit. And so in verse 8, he passes her again, looks upon her, and sees, yes, the time is right. You are ready for the time of love. And that's where Song of Songs comes in. There's a time and a season in your life when you are ready for Song of Songs. And he made you ready. And then he spreads his skirt, his talit, over her to cover her nakedness. And yes, I plighted my troth to you, and I entered into a covenant with you, says the Lord, and you became mine. You see, he didn't look at her when she was rolling about in her blood and say, Oh, you are so dirty. I'd better take you and wash you and clean you before I can even talk to you, let alone marry you. He took her in that state that she was, rolling in her blood, loathsome, abhorrent. Already then he said, you will be mine. And then he watched her and he gave her time to learn to trust him as the shepherd girl did in his chambers. And he loves her and he feeds her with that wine on his lips. And then he says, you are ready. I'm going to take you on a journey of intimacy through songs of songs. And yes, I am going to marry you. I plighted my troth to you. I'm entering into a covenant. I'm preparing you to be my bride. So you will become mine. In verse 9, he starts washing her with the water of the word. The bride then gets this hunger for the word. You can't stop reading the word. You just want to read the word over and hear the word and sing the word and paint the word. And then he says, I thoroughly washed your clinging blood from you. And when she is clean, as he washed the disciples' feet, and he said to Peter, when Peter wouldn't allow him to wash his feet, he said, if I cannot wash your feet, you have no part of me. And then Peter said, oh Lord, then wash my whole body head to toe. And Jesus laughed and said, no, 
you, and he looked at all the disciples, you are already washed through the words that I spoke to you. So every time he has spoken to you, every time he is speaking to you, every time you are reading the word, he is washing you. And I anointed you with oil. Then comes the anointing. Then he starts to clothe her, verse 10. I clothed you also with embroidered cloth, and I shot you with fine seal leather, and I girded you about with fine linen and covered you with silk. Of course, the embroidered cloth is the wedding garment that we read about in the book of Revelation. The shot you with fine seal leather is he's giving her the, the feet. He's putting on the, the, the shoes for the readiness to preach the gospel. And he girded her about with fine linen, that is the girdle, and he covers her with silk. Verse 11, And I decked you with ornaments and put bracelets on your wrists and a chain on your neck. And I put a ring on your nostril and earrings in your ears and a beautiful crown upon your head. Thus you were decked with gold and silver, and your raiment was of fine linen and silk and embroidered cloth. And you ate fine flour and honey and oil, and you were exceedingly beautiful, and you prospered into royal estate. It's not enough to just put on her wedding dress and shoes for the gospel. He also gives her jewelry because that's what a bridegroom does. Ornaments and bracelets and he says and a ring and then he calls the crowns her with the crown upon her head. That's the crowns the bride will re receive when we are raptured and we are with Jesus for the seven years of the tribulation. And he mentioned all these jewelry were made of gold and silver. Gold means the testing of your faith. You will be tested. And you ate fine flour and honey and oil. Last week we heard he prepared a table before you. On that table you'll find the fine flour, which is his body, the honey and the oil, which this is the anointing. And the bride becomes beautiful, exceedingly beautiful. She prospers into royal estate because she's being made ready to be a queen, marrying the king. Think of Esther in this uh, referent. Verse 14, And your renown went forth among the nations for your beauty. It was perfect through my majesty and splendor which I had put upon you, says the Lord God. He's actually speaking of Ephesians, I think it's 4, where he says that the bride has come into perfection, the perfection of Jesus Christ. This is actually the story of what's going to happen to the shepherd girl when he starts with following the footsteps of the flock. Song of Songs 1 verse 9. He is going into a next level when he says, I have compared you, my love, to my filly among Pharaoh's chariots. Pharaoh was known for his horses and his chariots, and the horse means the strength of your spirit. He says, in your spirit, I'm putting the strength of a racing horse. She doesn't understand anything. She just listens to everything he says, and it will be the same with you. You do not have to understand everything. 
just receive the words he's telling you tonight. You may ask, but when will this happen? Isaiah 46, 19, he says, I am you, I am this one. If you don't know if this can happen to you, then go and remember the former things which I did, the things of old. I am God, there's no one else. I am God, there's none like me. And you agree with him, yes, God, there's no one like you. So when will these things happen, you say? He says, Isaiah 46, 10, he says, I declare the end and the result from the beginning. And from ancient times, the things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure and purpose. He says, my ways are not your ways. You always start from the beginning, and you look at the end, and you think, I've got to do this, and climb so many steps, and do so many Bible studies, and courses, and things. Maybe, maybe then I'll be good enough, and clean enough, to be one of Jesus' brides. He says, no, I'm telling you tonight, you will be my bride. I start at the end, and then I work to the beginning. I'm telling you the things that are not yet done. And remember, my counsel shall stand, and everything I want to do, according to my pleasure and purpose, I will do it. When, you ask? Isaiah 48, 7, he answers you, now. They are created now. I'm calling it in now by the prophetic word. Not long ago, tonight, it's starting. Before today, you've never heard of these things. Lest you should say, behold, I knew them. Every time I read this, no matter how many times I do Song of Songs, I always feel, okay, keep me from ever saying, oh, I've heard that before, Lord. Because then, we are not in a humbling position. We are entering pride. Knowledge, too much knowledge puffs up and pride will be the result. When you are, are with Jesus, it's always like you've never heard these words. No matter how many times you've read them, it's when he brings his manifest presence and the Holy Spirit comes down that that word becomes life. He is complimenting her already on her beauty. He's telling her how lovely she is. She does not understand, but she listens. Verse 10 and 11. Your cheeks are lovely with ornaments, your neck with chains of gold. We will make your ornaments of gold with studs of silver. All this jewelry means something. When we see the word gold, 1 Peter 1.7 teaches us, Gold always means it's the testing of your faith. So when she puts on the jewelry, she doesn't realize, oh my, I'm going to be tested. We are now again in another season where our faith are being tested. Our faith is being tested. That faith, which is infinitely more precious than perishable gold, which is tested and purified by fire. This proving of your faith is intended to redound to you praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One, is revealed. In Revelation 3.18, he tells us, I counsel you to purchase from me gold, refined, tested by fire, that you may be truly wealthy 
and white clothes, that's the wedding dress, to clothe you and to keep the shame of your nudity, like the outcast bride in Ezekiel 16, where she was naked and bare. He doesn't want us to use fig leaves like Adam and Eve did. He says, go from your nudity into your wedding dress. Don't spend a lot, long, long time of your life wearing fig leaves, trying to hide your nudity from me. And buy from me soft to put on your eyes that you may see. He so wants you to see what the Spirit wants to show you. In Psalm 66, then we read, For you, O God, you have proved us. You have tried us as silver is tried, refined and purified. And we say, yes, Lord, many times. And right now again, you're testing us and proving us and tried us in a new way. Malachi 3.3, you are sitting as the refiner and the purifier of silver. And you are purifying the priests, the son of Levi. The bride is also a priestly bride. That's why we are being purified. And he's refining us like gold and like silver. Why? That we may offer to the Lord offerings in righteousness. She's watching him. They are still in the king's chamber in his bedroom. Intimacy is still taking place. Now she sees he's sitting at his table. She's again getting that wonderful fragrance of Jesus. Oh, it's my prayer tonight that you will smell that fragrance of Jesus, that when you are alone in your room right now or tonight, or when you are talking to him in intimacy, he will just come and visit you with his sweet, sweet fragrance. The first time you smell it, you may think it's a perfume or something in the room. When we were next to people on camps, people would always think it's the lady next to her. Now there's nobody, it's just you. So if that fragrance comes, recognize it for what it is. It's the manifest presence of Jesus. That's what she is smelling. And now she believes, I was close to him, I kissed him. So his fragrance is also becoming my fragrance. When you've been close to somebody, the fragrance gives off onto your clothes. Now she says, my spikenard sends forth its fragrance. A bundle of myrrh, my beloved, to me that lies all night between my breasts. She's beginning to enjoy the intimacy. She's not so terribly afraid anymore. She is relaxing in his presence. But she does not realize when she talks about spikenard and myrrh, what are the uh, meanings of that? Myrrh means to die to self. It's a prophetic sign of dying. Mary used myrrh to anoint Jesus' body, Marcus 14, 3-8. The abundant life that Christ's death on the cross bought for his bride is presented by this whole bundle of myrrh. This fragrance we find in 2 Corinthians 2.15, which says we are the sweet fragrance of Christ which exhales unto God discernible alike among those who are being saved, among those who are perished. To the latter, those who are perishing, it's an aroma from death to death, a fatal order, the smell of doom. To the former, those who are being saved, 
it's an aroma from life to life. Just to smell this fragrance of Jesus brings life. He is encouraging her. When she says, I want this whole bundle, verse 13, she says, My beloved is to me a cluster of henna blooms in the vineyards of Ein Gedi. Blooms are from the grapes of Ein Gedi, the place where David went to hide from Saul. The Jews call a man a cluster when his life exhibits all the characteristics of the spirit. The Jewish term for this is Ish Kol Kopfer. The English for that is the man of atonement. Break it up into a man who covers all, one who atones for all. That's the one we are remembering this week. He brings at one mint through his atonement. He is busy preparing her. She's beginning to realize everything that he has I will have. Everything that he does, I will do. Everything that he says about himself, I will say about him. Everything he says about me, I will say about myself. Verse 15. He is so glad when she is beginning to show him and tell him she's in love. And therefore he says, Behold, you are fair, my love. Behold, you are fair. You have dove's eyes. From my own garden I have not kept to you have dove's eyes. She hasn't got these dove's eyes yet, but he speaks it and remember he said, when I speak it, it begins. A dove cannot focus on one thing alone, can only focus on one thing alone. He cannot look from the sides of his eyes. So what he is teaching her that no matter what, I will have dove's eyes. I will turn my eyes unto Jesus. Look full in his wonderful place, face. And the things on earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. In Ephesians 1.18, he is telling her, I want your eyes to be flooded with light so that you can know and understand the hope to which I have called you. And how rich is my glorious inheritance in you. See, that's why you've got to buy the salve that he speaks of in Revelation 3.18. Come and buy some salve from me to put on your eyes that you may see. Ephesians 1.18 Now your eyes of your heart are flattered with light. Do you know tonight? Do you understand the hope to which he has called you? Your hope should be to be raptured. There's no other way to become his bride. That's the hope he's called you to. And in Revelation, when he tells you, I am your inheritance, David knew that. He said, the Lord himself is my inheritance. And he says, yes, I am. Do you know that you are my inheritance? That's why I'm spending so much time on you. That's why I give you the Holy Spirit as your engagement ring, Ephesians 1, 18. 
she doesn't know how to reply on this. This is just a bit too much for her. She sticks with his beauty. She's still by, oh, Lord, you're beautiful. Your face is all I see. And when your eyes are upon this child, your grace abounds in me. And she's like, your grace is enough for me, Lord. I, I just want your grace. And he says, but I have so much more. And she says in verse 16, Behold, you are handsome, my beloved. Yes, you are pleasant. Oh, Lord, you're beautiful. And he's taking her the next step further. In verse 17, he says, Look, we're still in the king's chamber, and our bed is green, and the beams of our house are of cedar, and our rafters are of fir, cypresses. He is telling her, the greenness of our bed comes from Psalm 3. You are in a place of rest. Green is resting, but it's also new beginning, new season, when all the plants start to sprout forth. And he, then when he says, look up and see that this house beams out of cedar, he's talking about wood. And wood always means humble, humility, and to die on a cross. So he's saying, my love, yes, I'm beautiful. Yes, we are in the king's chamber. But if I was anointed with myrrh, you will be anointed with myrrh. If I had to go to the cross to die to self and to die physically, my love, you will die to self. Maybe physically, maybe not. Only he knows. And the rafters are of fir, cypresses. That's also a symbol of dying. She's really, really learning to speak the way he does, to repeat what he says. All these things that she does not understand. When she says, who is like you? There's no one. She is actually quoting the word. And he is telling her, Isaiah 45 verse 4. My love, for the sake of Jacob, my servant, and of Israel. Jacob is just another name for Israel. So put in your own name there. He's telling you tonight, my love, for the sake of you, my servant, and of you, put in your name, in the place of Israel and Jacob, my chosen. See, I've chosen you. He says, I've chosen you, and I will not let you down. I've chosen you, my beloved. You were born to wear a crown. Read Revelation. I've called you by your name. You are mine. I have surnamed you. That's when you enter into the marriage covenant and his surname becomes yours. So tonight your name becomes like mine, Poppy Jesus. That's my surname. And I've done this, though you have not known me. So when was this God, Father God's plan? That every child, every soul ever born was supposed to be a bride. It was done before the foundation of the world. That's the Father's heart. It's not just for some. He wants everyone to become a bride of his son.
And if that's not enough, he repeats in Isaiah 49:16, Behold, my love, I indelibly imprinted, tattooed a picture of you on the palm of each of my hands. O Zion, it's another name for Israel, for Jerusalem. When I prepared, the Lord said, This time you write in, O South Africa, your walls are continually before me. And I was so uplifted when I realized, first I write my own name, then I can write the name of my country. That the Lord says he has tattooed a picture on the palm of each of his hands of South Africa. And he's telling us tonight, South Africa, your walls are continually before me, the walls of the city. And you are also a city. He speaks of, in John, that you are a city on a hill. So your walls, with which he protects you, is before him. In John 14, 2, we, we read, In my father's house there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I am going away to prepare a place for you. And when I go and make ready a place for you, I will come back again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may also. Jesus said that to his disciples shortly before his crucifixion. And when he spoke this, I always picture them looking excitedly at each other because those are the words used in a Jewish wedding. That is the description of a Jewish wedding. So let me tell you the story. When a Jewish man sees the girl he likes, he would tell his father about her. Then the two fathers would meet together with the bride-to-be and the bridegroom-to-be. And the fathers in conversation will speak about uh, the bridal treasure and all that kind of things. And all through this uh, meeting and discussion, they would drink wine four times. At the uh, that doesn't mean they empty four glasses, they just top up again as a ritual. When he gets to the third time, that is the father of the bridegroom, he pours a glass for the bride-to-be as well. And the bridegroom just watches her. If she takes that glass and drinks it, it means she says yes. If she refuses it, she says no because she has a full right to say yes or no. But if she drinks it, everybody is so happy because now there is a contract. Then they leave and the bridegroom and his father go back to their house and he prepares a room. He builds a room onto the family home for his new bride. This contract can last for up to two years. Then he has to go and fetch the bride. Meanwhile, he also had to bring the bridal treasures, all the things that he said he would give her, and she keeps it. During those two years, she is known as Taken. She has to prepare herself every night in case the bridegroom comes tonight, because he usually comes at midnight but she does not know the day or the hour. She has to dress up and put an oil lamp in the window. 
when he does come, he does not come until his father tells him, Son, the room is ready, go fetch your bride. That's why Jesus said no one knows the day or the hour, not he himself does not know. Only my father knows, he said. But in the next verse, he says to his disciples, But you are not in the dark, that you cannot read the signs of the times and interpret them. So there is a way to realize, if I can understand the signs of the times and learn to interpret them and confirm them with others, I have an idea of when the bridegroom is coming. But yes, we cannot say the exact day or time. But we all know from the signs we see it is near. So that's what the disciples understood as well. Jesus left them shortly after that to go and prepare a place for his bride, for his disciples. And then he said, when the room is ready, I'll come back and take you to myself. That where I am, you may be also. So when his father tells him, his friends, the friends of the bridegroom, start blowing the ram's horn and make a loud noise and he comes on a white horse and he steals the bride away in the middle of the night and he takes her to this new room. The noise is the sign for the guests that there's a wedding taking place this morning. Meanwhile, the bridegroom and bride-to-be enters the bridal chamber. The guests start to arrive for the wedding because it's going to be a seven-day feast, this wedding. They do not sit and wait like us do for them to get married and then to go and eat and then to go and sign the books or take the photos. No. They wait for the wedding, for the marriage to be consummated. The bridegroom's friend, Jesus' best man, was John the Baptist. That's why John the Baptist, when they thought and asked him, are you the Messiah? He said, no, I am the one to prepare the way for him. So the best man waits at the door. And when the marriage is consummated, the sheet with the blood on, the virgin blood, is taken and shown to the guests to show that this bride hath been pure for two years. She did not go into adultery with any other men. That's the sign that she was pure and that the marriage is consummated. Then the guests rejoice and the feast begins. Where did Jesus do his first miracle? Yeah, at a wedding, the wedding at Cana. To tell people, see, when I return, it's all got to do with a marriage, a wedding. But now we live in a time where there's no picture of the bride and the bridegroom anymore. It's not a man and a woman anymore. So if people do not stay with God's pattern, and it's becoming mixed marriages, how will they ever understand that that's Jesus' picture, that he is the bridegroom and we are the bride? Friends, we are waiting for the rapture. 
We are waiting for the Jewish wedding with Jesus. You may ask me, where are the scriptures for this? I will give you three. There's many more. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 50 to 55. I tell you this, brethren, flesh and blood cannot become partakers of eternal salvation. That's when we go to heaven. It cannot inherit or share in the kingdom of God. Nor does the perishable, that which is decaying, our mortal bodies, nor can it inherit or share in the imperishable, the immortal. Take notice, he tells us. I tell you a mystery. It is a secret truth, an event decreed by the hidden purpose or counsel of God. We shall not all fall asleep in death. Some will. But we that are alive, we shall all be changed, transformed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the sound of the last trumpet call. For a trumpet will sound, and the dead in Christ will be raised, imperishable, free and immune from decay, and we who are alive shall be changed and transformed. So whether you are dead or alive, we will there be there together if you died in Christ. If you are alive, this perishable body, part of us, it must put on an imperishable part. And this mortal part of us, this nature, that which is capable of dying, it must put on immortality, freedom from death. How we long for that. And when this perishable puts on the imperishable, this that was capable of dying, when it puts on freedom from death, then shall be fulfilled the scripture that says, Death is swallowed up, utterly vanquished forever into the victory of Jesus Christ. And we can cry tonight, O oh, death, where is your victory? O oh, death, where is your sting? Because Jesus said, He that believes in me, Though he were dead, yet shall he live. Paul continues in 1 Thessalonians 5, 2-11. For you yourselves know perfectly well that the day of the return of the Lord will come as unexpectedly and suddenly as a thief in the night. When people are saying, All is well and secure, there is peace and safety at last. Then in a moment, unforeseen destruction, ruin and death will come upon them as suddenly as labor pains come upon a woman with child, and they shall by no means escape, for there will be no escape. You see, the escape door is closed once the wedding guests are there and they arrive, Matthew 25, and the door is shut. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 4 Then he tells them But you, my brother, my sister You're not given up to the powers of darkness For that day, the day of the rapture To take, overtake you by surprise like a thief No, you are sons of the light And sons of the day We do not belong to the night or darkness So accordingly then Let us not sleep as the rest do For the world is sleeping and sometimes it looks like the church is sleeping as well. But let us keep wide awake, alert, watchful, cautious, 
and on our guard. But let us also be sober, calm, collected, and circumspect. Just when you want to fall asleep about this, the Lord allows something to wake you up again. And the coronavirus was a, a wake-up call to many. Suddenly people are asking. I get many requests that please will we do revelation after Song of Songs. <clears throat> and I will, if God so, if God so willing. But I want to warn you in a way. Do not get caught up in revelation and the seals, the seven seals and the seven trumpets and the seven bowls and, and try to figure out where we are. Where you should be in your room busy with intimacy. When we do revelation, we will do it from the perspective of intimacy. He's not concerned that you must try and find out when is the rapture going to be. It's only signs to read and to interpret. He's much more concerned about your intimacy with him. That's why he said we must do Song of Songs first. Verse 7. Those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who are drunk, get drunk at night. But we, we belong to the day. Therefore, let us be sober. Let us put on the breastplate of faith. Let us put on, on our armor of God. And let's put on love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. Because we know, verse 9, God has not appointed us to incur his wrath. He did not select us as his bride to condemn us again. No, he selected us. He appointed us that we might obtain his salvation. That salvation is the final salvation of the body. When you got saved, you got your salvation of the soul. But the body is not saved yet. It will be salvation for the body on the rapture. To obtain that salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah. He who died for us. That whether we are still alive or dead at Christ's appearing, we will live together with him and share his life. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, encourage each other, admonish, exhort one another, edify, strengthen, build up one another, just as you are doing now. The last scripture. 1 Thessalonians 4, 15 to 18. Still it's Paul telling us all about the rapture. For this we declare to you by the Lord's own word, that we who are alive and remain till the coming of the Lord shall in no way proceed into his presence or have any advantage at all over those who have previously fallen asleep in him in death. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a loud cry of summons, with the shout of an archangel, and with a blast of the trumpet of God. And those who have departed this life in Christ will rise first. Then we, the living ones who remain on earth, shall simultaneously be caught up along with the resurrected dead in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so always, through the eternity of the eternities, we shall be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort 
and encourage one another with these words. Let's just summarize this. It says the Lord will call. He will descend from heaven, but he doesn't land on earth. So that means he's hanging somewhere there in the heavens, descending from heaven, being in the cloud. And then he will cry, a loud cry of summons. Come up here, as John heard in Revelation. And there's an archangel that will shout. And there will be a trumpet, which we call the last trumpet, which that is not anything to do with the seventh trumpet in Revelation. People get so mixed up with it. This is a special trumpet to call the bride. And those three sounds together has so much power because God's voice is like the sound of many, many waters. The archangel's voice has got power and that last trumpet has got power. That will create an earthquake. And the graves of those who went to Christ, their bodies will resurrect. Their soul and spirit will come down and enter that body and that body will become glorified body and in that same moment it all happens in the twinkling of an eye you will not be able to watch oh now this now that now that no it all will happen together so quickly we who are alive will immediately change into our glorified bodies and then we and those who died in Christ together will ascend to meet him in the air see he's not on earth he's in the air and he will take us home to the room and his father's house. There we will be with him for seven years while all hell breaks loose on earth and the reign of Antichrist. Seven years, three and a half years of a false peace and then three and a half years of total judgment. There's so much more I can say about that. But this is just to understand he wants you as his bride. He's calling you. He's kissing you. He's loving you. He is beautifying you. There's no such thing as an ugly bride, we always say. Jesus says the same. And I know because time is short, he will do this in a matter of days as we go through this book. Will not take years he said tonight I'm starting will you be my bride no matter what you see in yourself that's holding you back I'm calling you come as you are come and study this book with me as my bride to be remember I took you just as you are rolling about in your blood dirty in the mud an outcast I took you I'm busy with you in the king's chamber. I'm teaching you and I'm telling you, the Lord says, when I'm finished with you, my love, you will be a glorious, spotless bride. No spot in you. And I will do it all if you will just let me. You see, my love, I paid the price for you when I died on the cross. It's all done. There's nothing that you have to do. You must nothing. You must just learn 
to love me. Because if you love me, you will trust me. You see, if you don't love him, you can't trust him. You try to trust him, but your faith fails you every time. So if after tonight you feel, oh Lord, I want to, I so want to love you, I so want to trust you, but I don't know how, I'm afraid. Give that to him tonight. Lord, but I did so many terrible things. I've wasted so much time. Just give it to him. Lord, I, and at times I feel like a bride and at other times I don't feel like a bride. Don't go with your feelings. Go with my words. I have surnamed you. I want you as my bride. Not just a bride. A warrior bride. A priestly bride. So that when we come back to earth, you can rule and reign with me, my love, for a thousand years, as I promised you. I cannot prepare you in heaven for that. I can only prepare you here on earth for that if you will only let me. He will never force himself on you. He is a gentle bridegroom. And he says, while there is still time, allow me to show you who I am. I am your shepherd and you are my shepherd girl. I have moments of intense joy and gaiety and rejoicing of what I bought at the cross because I suffered on the cross. But I looked forward to the joy that after the cross there will be no end to how far I can stretch your faith to become like gold if you will only let. Will you say yes to him tonight? Especially since we are in Passover weekend. He says, all this week, remember what I did for you. Remember the price I paid for you, my bride. And you know what? At the end of Song of Songs, I tell you I want a full return on the price I've paid. I expect a full return for my bride, for the price I've paid. He's looking into your eyes asking you, is there anything else that I must do for you to believe me, to love me, to trust me? And we say, no, Lord, there's nothing more. For you yourself said, no greater love has man than he who gives his life for another. And Lord, you gave your life for me. While I was still in sin, you died for me. And I always knew you died for me for the forgiveness of my sins so that I don't have to go to hell. But I never thought about it or realized that you want so much more from me. Not things, not works. You want my love. You want me to love you the way you love 
me. And if you feel, I don't know how. Then in Romans 5, I think it's verse 8. I'll tell you next week if I'm wrong. God the Father says, ask him to pour love for his son into your heart. For when we ask him, he says, I'll pour the love of God into your heart. You see, we need God to love God. We need the love of our Father God to love his Son, Jesus. And Holy Spirit will show us and make him visible and seeable and heardable. We'll hear his voice through the leading of the Holy Spirit. We'll sense the manifest moments of his presence through the Holy Spirit. Jesus is real. And he wants you to know it and to experience it. Wherever you may be, whatever you have done, tonight, if you hear these words, if you hear him calling you, drawing you, do not harden your heart, but give over to Jesus. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Thank you that you died on the cross for me, for my sins, for the forgiveness of my sins. I've made a mess. I surrender all to you tonight, Lord. Some of you can say again. I want you to be Lord of my life. I want to call you my bridegroom with authority, with the authority of a bride. I want to say Jesus Messiah is my bridegroom and I am his bride. And I will rule and reign with him soon in the peace reign. Thank you for the new beginning that was brought on the cross. Thank you that communion will have new meaning through the blood of Jesus, by the blood of Jesus, all things are possible. In Jesus' name. I'm going to repeat the statements of the blood if you will bear with me for another five minutes. The statements of, a, of the blood of Jesus is so important, especially now that it is at Passover. There's nothing more precious and powerful than the blood of Jesus. It saves us from death and hell. It heals us from all kinds of sicknesses, wounds, traumas. It delivers us from all evil and demonic or occultic onslaughts of the devil. It protects us against all evil. It always reminds us of his love. The statements of the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus has redeemed me from the hand of Satan. Ephesians 1.7 the blood of Jesus has redeemed me from every curse. Galatians 3.13 
In Christ Jesus, I'm free from every curse and I'm blessed with all blessings. I shall be blessed in my place and my affairs shall be blessed. I shall be blessed at my work and the fruits of my labor shall be blessed. I shall be blessed when I come in and I shall be blessed when I go out. The Lord will cause my enemies who rise up against me to be defeated before my face. They will come at me from one direction but will flee from me in seven. The Lord will send a blessing on my bones and on everything I put my hand to. And the Lord, my God, will bless me in the land he is giving me. The Lord will establish me as his holy people. Then all the peoples on earth will see that I am called by the name of the Lord, and they will fear me. The Lord will grant me abundant prosperity. The Lord will open the heavens, the storehouse of his bounty, to send rain on my land in season, and to bless all the works of my hands. So I will lend to many nations, but will borrow from none. The Lord will make me the head, not the tail, and I will be always be at the top, never at the bottom. Deuteronomy 28 the blood of Jesus has sealed an eternal covenant for me. Hebrews 13.2 The blood of Jesus has reconciled me to God and granted me peace with God the Father, with all people and with all of creation. Ephesians 2.13-16 and Colossians 1.2 The blood of Jesus has granted me forgiveness of all my sins. Ephesians 1.7 the blood of Jesus, the Son of God, cleanses me from all sin. 1 John 1 7. The blood of Jesus justifies me from all condemnation, so all the accusations of the devil against me are nullified. He makes me righteous, as though I have never sinned. Romans 3 24 and Romans 5 verse 9. The blood of Jesus sanctifies me and consecrates me, so I become belonging to my Lord, dedicated to Him, and set apart for His ministry. 1 Peter 1 2. The blood of Jesus cleanses my conscience from acts that lead to death, so that I may serve the living God. Hebrews 9 verse 14. The blood of Jesus makes me enter the most holy place to serve the holy God. The blood of Jesus makes me enter the most holy place, the king's chamber, to serve the holy God. The blood of Jesus grants me victory over Satan and all his principalities. Hebrews 10 verse 19. The blood of Jesus is the reason for my everlasting rejoicing. Revelation 7 verse 14 and 17 and Revelation 19 verse 6 to 7. Hallelujah. You can do a prostration at the end or after each statement. For we know we will overcome the enemy, everything happening here on earth that we are struggling with, that the devil brings against us. We will overcome him, Satan, 
only by one thing, not by might, not by power, but by the blood of Jesus Christ and by the word of our testimonies. We have the testimony of Jesus in Revelation. It says the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. O Lord, let our testimonies of you also come out of our mouths with the spirit of prophecy. Not prophecies by men from the flesh, but from the spirit of Jesus. Like the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Let our testimonies of Jesus become the spirit of prophecy. We were in, are in such deception concerning prophecies. And we will overcome Satan by laying down our lives if we have to. And laying down our reputation or whatever we may have thought of ourselves. We declare tonight we are not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ for it is the power of salvation to all who want it in Jesus name Amen May you be blessed covered and strengthened in Christ until the next time Thank you.